0: If you're looking to the Lord for help, you're looking in the right place. Amen? In fact, today, we'll get a chance to see God flex His muscles a little bit. If you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. And you believe we're, we're nearing the end of the book of Revelation? Right? That's exciting. And here we are, we're studying what we call the 11th hour. We're looking at the, the final events in the, the story of redemption. And in chapter 19, where we left off, we, we read about the fall of the beast, Right? And when you remember that satanic trinity that Satan was trying to set himself up in the place of God And he put himself at the top and he had the Antichrist and the false prophet Last week at the end of chapter 19 we found that the Antichrist and the false prophet were taken out of the equation And they were put into the lake of fire, the first two to be placed into the lake of fire Which is a permanent place But if you remember there was one person we didn't deal with last week Remember who that was? The only one remaining there. We have Satan as well. So if you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 20. We'll read verses 1 through 3. And we'll see what happens to Satan. Starting in verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven. Having the key to the bottomless pit. And a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon. That serpent of old who is the devil and Satan. And bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more until a thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So, so whatever happened to Satan at this point, what we find that the answer to that is very simple. He will be cast into the bottomless pit. He'll be cast into the bottomless pit. Now, a couple of things. When we look at this word here, bottomless pit, uh, it's a word that's used throughout, uh, throughout Scripture, and, and uh, it's the same word that we find ab- the, called the abyss. So in some, some locations, the Greek word is translated the abyss, and in other locations, the word is translated as the bottomless pit. And that's okay, because you know what the word abyss means? It means a pit with no bottom to it, right? So the bottomless pit, the abyss, it's the the exact same thing, the exact same word in Greek. And so I want you to understand a little bit about this idea that that Satan was cast into the bottomless pit, or will be cast into the bottomless pit. So let me give just a little brief history of the abyss, if that's all right. And if you have notes, if you have the uh, bulletin, we have some notes in there that you can follow along with there. Uh, But first, the abyss is a holding place for demons who were not permitted to have access to the earth. Now think about that for a moment. The, the abyss is a holy place for demons who were not permitted to have access to the earth. If I could put it in two short words to make it simple, demon jail. Right? This is demon jail. This is demon prison. And uh, and a couple of verses would lead us to that conclusion. First, if um, uh, let me take you and keep your, keep a finger here in Revelation 20, but in Jude verse six, there are no chapters in Jude since it's just one uh, one chapter there. But Jude verse six, we read this and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. In other words, think about this. this. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 6. And you had some demons that left their abode, left their stations. They followed Satan in his rebellion. And some of them were involved in some very evil things. In fact, so evil that God decided to put them into this, the abyss for, uh, for reservation until the day of judgment. And so that goes all the way back to, to Genesis chapter 6. Uh, now, what's that place called? Well, we, we, we read about it in Luke chapter 8 when Jesus was, was casting out demons. And, and in that conversation, he said this. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. So this demon-possessed man was was possessed by many, many demons, but then catch this, verse 30, 31, and they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. So what were they afraid of? These were demons who were loose on the earth, and they were uh, possessing a man and causing him to do all sorts of dark and, and, and evil things, and so Jesus was casting these demons out, and they were saying, please don't send us to demon jail. Don't send us to the abyss, please. By the way, it tells us several things. First of all, who were they afraid of? They were afraid of Jesus. They were afraid of Jesus. And and so please don't send us there. And so uh, that's where this this abyss is, this this holding place for demons. They cannot leave it. They have no, no ability to leave this place they have to be let out. And uh, that takes us to the second point here that I want to bring up is that the abyss has been sealed since Satan's fall, but will be opened during the tribulation. Remember back in chapter nine when we read that it says, then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. So there's an angel who had a key to the bottomless pit. Verse two, and he opened the bottomless pit, uh, and smoke rose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And you might remember when we studied chapter 9, that was, that was a reference to, to demonic activity that was taking place. And, and uh, they were doing... Uh, terrible and horrible things. We saw that in Revelation 11 as well, verse 7. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them. Talking about the two witnesses, and and we can continue. It mentions them again in chapter 17, but uh, the idea here is 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 very clear that the abyss has been sealed, but it will be open again in the time of the tribulation. Because what did, what did it say in Jude? They were reserved until the day of the judgment, which happens in the tribulation. Third and last thing I want to, to understand is that what we're talking about here in Revelation chapter 20. In Revelation chapter 20, Satan is cast into the, the abyss and it is sealed once again. And so that's, that's where we come to at this point. So uh, the, you know, that's where, uh, where Satan is cast during this time. Now, remember, this is all prophecy, Right? So we're talking about things that are going to happen in the future. So I want to ask you a quick question. And that question is, is if, if, if Satan will be uh, in the future, there we go, if Satan will be locked up in the future, what does that imply about him right now? All right, so think about that for a moment. We're in the present. In the future, we, we find out that he is going to be locked up, right? He's going to be locked up in the future. What does that imply about where he is right now what he's doing right now he's free he's presently free and roaming the earth doing exactly what verse 3 said he'll he'll have to stop doing that is deceiving the nations do you believe that he's free on the earth right now see there are a lot of images of satan that we we see and we we hear about it and almost like he's some kind of the prince of the underworld and he's reigning in hell below that's not true that's made up. It's pure invention. Where is he? He is on the earth right now trying to deceive the nations to believing things that are not true. In fact, if you think about it, when you, when we look at when we just to study in the book of Revelation in chapter two, what did we read when it was the letter to the churches? This is before the tribulation. This is before all of those things. What did, it, what did we read? Jesus said, I know your works. This is to the church in Pergamos. I know your works, where you dwell where Satan's throne is. That's present tense. Right? This is where he is. In fact a little further in the verse it even talks about this is where Satan dwells. Uh, the very next uh, the very next chapter when we were talking about the church in Philadelphia, he said, I- in- indeed I will make those of the synagogue of Satan. Synagogue means a place of of gathering together, right? And you would know that uh, John, right? It's, uh, uh, working with, the, with Jewish people, the, the synagogue. But this is the synagogue of Satan. This is where they're gathered together in Satan's name. Or in Ephesians 2, uh, we read this. And you, he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you, you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who's that? That's Satan. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience Paul was saying this is in the church age same age that we're in right now And he says right now the spirit is is working right now in the sons of disobedience he's trying to get people to become disobedient to God which is why in chapter 6 he said finally my brethren be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil the devil is wily, right? You know what that word means? It means he's, he's a trickster. He's, he's laying traps for you. And so we're looking forward to that day when he'll be locked up. Are you looking forward to that day? I'm looking forward to that day. But right now, then, that helps us understand, well, where is he at and what's he doing? Right now, he is his wily self doing everything that he can. I'd like to share one more verse just, just to emphasize how active he is in the world right now. In 1 Peter 5, 8, we read this, be sober means to be clear-headed, to be logical. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You need to be careful. You need to know that, right? You need to understand that he is there and he's looking, he's doing whatever he can to do what he does right now. Uh, we need to be on our guard. Satan is alive, he is active, and he's working to do what it says in, in verse 3. He's alive right now, and, and what he's doing is he's deceiving the nations. I'll tell you when, you, when you look at the world in general, would you say that in general the world understands who God is and they worship God for who he is? Not at all. He's succeeding in that right now. He's doing what he does. He deceives the nations. He deceives people into believing things that are not true. <clears throat> One of the things I found you know, very interesting too when I read verses 1 through 3 is the description of Satan. He could have just said this is what he did to Satan but instead he gives these four descriptions of who Satan is. And, uh, and so let's take a look, uh, look at that again. But I'll read verse, verse 2. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. Do you, do you think that John's uh, making a, an emphasis on who Satan is right here? And he does there are four descriptions, and the first one, is he calls them, the dragon." Now remember what we found in scriptures that there are various species of angels, and this idea that angels are, are fat babies with, with little bows and arrows that's, that's not a biblical concept. Right? That's not what we find. What we do uh, find, though is that, that there are multiple kinds of species, and we look at some of the different species described, it's, it's too difficult for us to even imagine. And you've got the, the seraphim and uh, the cherubim, which uh, seem to be some type of serpentine. The cherubim could be mounted and flown, uh, we read about in Ezekiel. The seraphim, it's the same word that we find um, in Exodus when it talks about the fiery serpents that were sent. Uh, it's a, the, the same word that's used there. So somehow those fiery, fiery serpents represented the, this type of, of celestial being. And and, and so we read about these kinds of things. But I'll tell you one thing then for sure that we understand. If we want to understand anything about Satan, we want to know we, that this is not what he looks like. Right? This cute little guy in, in his red pajamas with a pitchfork and little horns. Um, that doesn't seem very scary to me. Right? I mean, he looks to me like he should be, uh, uh, you know, the, the logo of a pizza company or something. Right? I mean... That's, that's not very scary, but that's not, that is not the Satan that we find in Scripture. That is not what we find in Scripture. In fact, what we do find is that he is a dreadful beast. He is a dragon-like dreadful beast. I don't know if this is what he looks like at all, but I know that it's, it is terrifying, and, and it's a scary thing. The second description actually goes with the first one, Then these two go together. Uh, the second one is he's not only called the dragon, but he is called the serpent of old. Why is he saying, you know, the, the Lord, dragon, and serpent are very similar, but, but why is he saying the, serp- the, the serpent of old? I think he's making a reference that goes all the way back to, this is the serpent that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When you go back to Genesis chapter 3, we find the fall of man. What was the serpent doing in Genesis chapter 3? Do you remember? God, he was deceiving, this time not the nations, he was deceiving all mankind which at that point was population two, right? But he's deceiving all mankind into what? Into his ideology of pride. And so God had said, this is what I want for you to do, and I want you to, to, to take care of this beautiful garden of delights, the garden of Eden, the garden of delights, and, and, and I want you to take care of this, and you're gonna, it's going to be a great job. I mean, talk about a great job. Working in the, working in the garden of Eden would be nice, he says, but there's one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You cannot partake of that one. And this is the test to see if you're going to obey me. In other words, in a perfect world, in a perfect, uh, perfect society, man understands his place, and it's underneath God. God gives the, the commands. We obey him. And when we do, everything is working in its perfect order. It's, and uh, everything is, is working the way it's designed <coughs> to be. And so, but instead, the serpent comes in And introduces a whole new ideology. An ideology that puts yourself over God. And he does it with Adam and Eve. In fact, when you think about it, he he went uh, in the Garden of Eden, which I don't think is a great picture of of the dragon there. But anyway, uh, we we see that we, we take the same person who once, in Isaiah 14, said, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. What's that ideology? It's the ideology of me over God. And Satan said, that's what I want. And all of a sudden, he comes in in Genesis chapter 3, and he convinces them, that's what you want too. In fact, what did he say in Genesis 3, verse 5? He said, and he's given his rationale, trying to convince them to break God's commands, and he says, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and what? You will be like God. Knowing good and evil. It's the same ideology that got him cast out of heaven. It's the same ideology that he came back in Genesis 3 and he has convinced, convinced Adam and Eve, the representatives of every single one of us here. He's our grandpa and grandma. I, I don't care who you are. I, it's your grandma and grandpa, right? If you go back far enough. And he convinced them that they too should usurp the authority of God and that destroys Everything We call that sin. And that ideology of pride has brought violence and perversion and materialism to our planet. And he's been influencing the world ever since. He, what does it say in verse 3? Verse so that he should deceive the nations no more. Once, he's, once he is put into the bottomless pit, he is no longer free to deceive the nations. What does that imply that he's been doing from Genesis 3 until now? Deceiving the nations. And I'll tell you what, you can go nation by nation. And then you know what is the, the governing principle behind it all? It's pride. It's putting myself above others. And we see that the, all through the world, there is, no, there is no government in the world that is free of corruption. Right? I mean, some can be worse than others. Right? I think that we have one of we have a great government compared to many places in the world. But is our is our government full of corruption too? Well, yeah. Sure, it is. And and so we ha- we have corruption there. Why? Because people put themselves above God and above the commands. Of God, we're reminded of that just in the titles of who He is. He is the dragon. He is the serpent of old. Uh, I don't think I don't think He's the boa constrictor of, of the tree. Right? He was the dragon. In fact, my theory—this um, is just a theory—is that when he was when he was cursed to the ground, that meant that his wings were clipped. Right? And I, why? Because you know lizards. You know, if, if it's just that he lost his legs. Lizards, their fall is maybe this far because they're pretty close to the ground as it is. Right? But I get that, the dramatic imagery of this When we think of him, uh, of a looser being a chair, which was, was mounted and, fl- and could fly, uh, he's cast to the ground. His wings were clipped. That's my theory. If you disagree with that, um, we're, we're still all Baptists, right? So <laughs> there could be a lot of Baptists. There would be a lot of godly people that could disagree with me on that. Uh, but I'll tell you, I believe... And that it is a major event when he when he was cast to the earth he was he was cast from heaven and kicked to the earth. Now why is why is it important that we understand him as the dragon and the serpent of old? And I think the the answer is it's because we should never underestimate the power and the cunning of our enemy. And sometimes when we picture him as this uh, as this fifty year old man in tights with pitchfork and, and horns and and it's close to halloween you'll see a lot of people dressed like that probably and it's, i'm sorry but it's just not that scary but the reality is he is someone to be feared and someone that we should be afraid of we should be careful just this week i, I got an email from uh, from a man that i respect and i respect him very deeply a man who loves the lord a man of integrity and, uh, and we're, we'll be working on something together in, 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 the, in the future. And, and uh, we know that Satan is going to try and stop it. And, and he, he, he just prayed right in his email. He just started praying through his email. And he said something along the lines of, of, Lord, I would never dare rebuke the devil. So would you do it for us? And make sure he can't stop what you're going to do in this, in this endeavor. I think that shows that here's a man who has that proper balance of respect. Understanding the power and the, the gravity of the, the power of, of our enemy. And, and when he compares it to his own power, says, wow, I, I, can't, I can't fight that. But also has the balance to say, yeah, but compared to the power of God, that's a whole different story. And When we compare ourselves to the power of Satan, we ought to be afraid of him. But when we compare the power of Satan to the power of our God, we no longer need to fear him. And that helps us keep that proper balance. Does that make sense? Yes. And, and to understand that. And, and so that was just a, a great encouragement to me. There's a third, third description of our enemy here in, uh, in the same verse. And, and it is the devil. The devil uh, comes from the Greek word diabolos. Uh, very similar to the Spanish word for our Spanish-speaking uh, people, Diablo. Uh, but the word itself actually means a slanderer or accuser. The devil is a slanderer or accuser. And did you know that part of what, what, what Satan does, this is just who he is, this is what he does, is he is a slanderer or accuser. He, is do, he goes before the Lord and tries to say bad things about you. Did you know that? We have a great picture of this when God in one book of the Bible gives us a behind-the-scenes look at Satan doing the, doing the very same things that caused God to give him this name. So keep again, keep a finger here in Revelation chapter 20. But let's look at Job chapter 1. And I want you to compare the truth about Job to what Satan, the accuser, the, the, uh, the slanderer says about him. So let's start with the truth in Job 1.1. 1, 1, God opens up with his own commentary on Job, and he says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. What a compliment, right? Now we know that this is true because this was inspired by God, and so this is a, God's description of a man. I, I don't know about you, but I, I would love to have God say something like that about me someday. So wouldn't that be awesome? he could say that about you that if he said oh here's so and so here's what I think of so and so I think this person is blameless that doesn't mean sinless that means everything they've done has been confessed everything they've done they've they've made it right there's nothing you can go back to them and say oh but you still did this wrong and you didn't you didn't make that right they're blameless upright fears God and shuns evil that's a great description so that's what Job was Go just a couple verses later. Here is Satan, the, the devil, his accuse, the, the accuser, the slanderer. Here's his take on the same situation. It says So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for, for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now, stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Do you see what Satan's saying? saying, God, he may look good on the outside, but he's a materialist. You start taking his, his stuff away from him, you take his stuff away, and he will curse you to your face. Now, we know the story, right? I don't, we don't have time this morning to read all of Job. But God allows Satan to take his stuff. He takes all of his stuff. Does Job curse the Lord? He never does. Even when his wife says, just curse him and die. It'll be easier that way. No, he doesn't. And he was a man of integrity. Why? Because God was right back in Job 1.1. And Satan was lying. He was accusing. He was slandering. By the way, word, the word slander implies that it's harmful information and that it's untrue information. Right? That's why we have two different crimes in the U.S. code. We slander and defamation. Defamation is when you say something bad about a person and it's true. Which to me, that doesn't seem like it should be a crime. But anyway. Slander is when you say something bad about the person and it's proven to be untrue and that you knew it was not true. That's what Satan does. He's so slander. He's, he's uh, constantly trying to accuse. And, and, uh, and, and that's what he does. By the way, it gives new meaning to... Ephesians, when, uh, Ephesians 4, when it says, do not give the devil a foothold. Right? What's he saying? Don't live your life in such a way that when Satan slanders against you, people have to say, yeah, he's kind of got a point. You should live your life in the way like Job did, where when, when the slanderer says something bad about you, God says, oh yeah, let me show you what he can do. Let me show you. And by the way, God rewarded Job with, every, with double what he had, and so we see, uh, we see that nature of Satan. He is slanderous. He's doing what he what he could. Uh, the devil is a, is a slanderer. He is a false accuser. The last thing he's called in, the, in, in that same verse is Satan, and these two go together as well. The word Satan itself means an adversary or opponent. Uh, in other words, it's it's you have to understand with his cunning nature. He does, he does just like he did in Genesis 3. He comes alongside and acts like he's your friend. Hey, I've got, I've got some advice for you. You can be like God. You don't have to listen to him. You can be the own master of your own universe. Let me, all you've got to do is just disobey him, show him who's boss. That's, he's come, he pretends like he's on your side. In reality, he hates you. He wants to bring you down. He is your opponent. He is your adversary. He doesn't dress like that. He doesn't act like that. But he is that. And you have to understand that he is your opponent. He is our enemy. Bottom line is, this Satan that is free on the planet right now is a dragon. He is the serpent of old. He is a devil. And he is Satan. He is your opponent. When you think about applications for this, Uh, There there are a couple things that come to my mind, and these kind of overlap with each other, but I I wrote it down in three three ways here. Number one, be vigilant. Be vigilant. In other words, be careful that the devil does not deceive you. He is roaming like a lion, wanting to devour you. Remember, just like the verse said in 1 Peter 5, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, Walks about like a roaring lion, seeking to devour you. You know, when I think of a, an illustration of that, have, have you ever heard any great fish stories about the going, someone going after that big fish? In fact, uh, Scott Padilla uh, told me one of my favorite. jokes "He said, oh, damn, Pastor David, I, 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 I caught this one fish the other day, and I kid you not, it was at least—I mean, I'm not kidding—it was at least this far from the shore." All right, so, so, you know, you all know Scott's uh, sense of humor. I mean, I love that. And, and, uh, but w- w- in any good fish story, really, it's about a fish that has grown so big, you know, that everyone's trying to get the big fish, right? Everyone's trying to get, you know, this huge fish in the lake or whatever it might be. How does that fish become that big? One word, vigilance. What I mean by that is every time there's a juicy worm that's in sight, he's like, where's the hook? Is there a hook, right? If he sees a hook, then he knows, okay, this is a trap. We need to be vigilant too. We need to be vigilant Christians because Satan is going to dangle things in front of you that are going to look good to you. They're going to, to remember, remember even with the, the fruit of the trees, it it, he made it look good to them. But he's going to dangle sin in front of you and say, oh, this looks good, this looks good. We need to be the type of Christians that ask, well, where's the hook? Let, let's look for that. Let's be smart. Be sober. Clear-headed. Uh, understand. For one thing, worms don't swim. Right? So you see this worm dangling there. You have to, you have to check it out. And so Satan's going to throw things at you. He's going to make, make things be a temptation to you. And he's going to put them out there. And we have to, how do you know if it's a sin or not? Well, you come right back to the source of truth. You compare it to this. And say, well... This is the temptation, but this is what the Bible says about that temptation. So I know there's a hook in there. But one thing I'll tell you: every sin has a hook. every sin. There are no sins that God says, "Well, this is kind of a little sin. You can get by with this. It's no big deal." Um, um, so I'm, I'm going to overlook these sins. And no, if there's a sin, the intention is is for for Satan to reel you in. He wants to get you trapped. Because that's what he does. Number two, I would say be prepared. Be prepared. Put on, put on the whole armor of God. I wish we had time to study the armor of God right now. and Maybe we will in some time in the future. But put on the whole armor of God that you read about in Ephesians chapter 6. Um, and expect the devil to try and trick you. Expect it. Uh, it's it's going to happen. Ephesians 6:10 says, "Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil." That word "wiles" right there. Uh, you know what, what word comes to my mind? There's a wily character who actually has that in his name. Anyone know who I'm talking about? Okay, a couple of wile, e, coyote. Yes, wily coyote, right? And when you think about that, and, and uh, it's not every Sunday you get to watch cartoons in church, right? But, um, but when you think about it, the wily coyote, what, is, what does he do throughout every cartoon that he's in? He sets traps, right? He wants to trap the, the roadrunner, and so he sets all of these traps, and he's always coming up with something, and he always buys his stuff from Acme. I don't know who that Acme is, but it never seems to work appropriately. <laughs> but, but why is it that it always ends up with him falling off of a cliff? Why is it? Because the roadrunner, road runner is prepared. The roadrunner knows it's a trick ahead of time and, he's, waiting and re- he's ready and waiting for it, right? This is the type of Christian that we need to be. We need to be the kind of Christian that says, okay, I know Satan's going to try and trick me here, so I'm going to be prepared for that. I know that, that, that Satan's going to use some of these sins to try and get me, so I know that, so I'm going to be prepared for that, Right? And, and we think, we, we, we see it from that perspective and it, and it changes everything. We, have, we, need to, we need to learn to expect the trick so that we can counteract that trick. You know, and, and depending on maybe some of the different sins in your life, there may be sins in your life that, that have, have come back and so you know, okay, this is a weak spot for me and Satan's gonna use this, so you need to avoid certain things so that you can avoid those temptations, right? If you have a, a history of, of abuse of alcohol, then you might have to drive a, certain, a different way home so that you don't go by your old favorite bar, maybe. Because you understand, this is a trick. I know where it leads. I know, and Satan's going to try and convince me that, it, that, it's, it, it, that if I, that I could just stop with, with one drink or whatever he might be convincing you of, and you need, you need to stay away from it. Right? There may be, you may have to quit your job if, if you're tempted because you know of, of, a, of a person at that job that, That uh, is is a temptation to you to be unfaithful to your spouse. I'll tell you what. What's worth more, your marriage or a job? Marriage trumps job every time. And you have to just you have to learn to recognize that 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 uh, that Satan is wily. The difference, I think, with with this cartoon in reality, the biggest difference is that Wily Coyote isn't nearly as smart as the Roadrunner. And in reality, the devil is a whole lot smarter than we are. But, that's why we have the truth on our side and we rely on the truth that says, watch out for this, it's a trap. Watch out for that, it's a trap. And we start recognizing and we say, I don't even understand the trap yet, but you know what? This is, this is what the Bible says, I'm going to do it. And you do that and all of a sudden you look and you see, you see the devil fail and you say, ah, now I see how that was a trap. And we have to be that type of, of Christian that we have to be prepared and we need to start putting up some of those, some of those, uh, just some wisdom in our life so that we can recognize sin for what it is. The third and last thing I want to bring up is, is to rejoice. Rejoice, why? Because Satan's reign will come to an end. Satan's reign will come to an end. Let me re- read verse three. It says, and he cast him, talking about Satan, he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up, and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. You know, let me just stop there for a moment. That's what we're rejoicing is that there's, a, there's going to come an end to all of this. There's going to be an end where, when Satan is powerless. You know, though, in the last, the last sentence of this verse, there's a little teaser about something to come. What does it say? But after these things, he must be released for a little while. Say, oh, no, I thought this was it. I thought this was the end. Well, there's going to be a reason, and we'll talk about that next week. So that's just kind of a, a teaser till, till next week. But right now, what we're looking at is, this, is something to rejoice over. A thousand years where Satan's reign will be at an end. He will not be allowed to deceive the nations anymore. And that's something over which we can rejoice. You know, by way of invitation, I want to just ask you a couple of quick questions. Number one, have you, al- have you been deceived? There could be some in here today that you've been deceived already, and, and, and I don't know everyone's background. I don't know, some of you may be visiting today. I, I don't know where you're coming from, but I want, to know, I, want, I want you to think about it for a moment. Have you been following the nations? I know they're doing what, believing kind of what everybody believes, or have you understood and, and that, that God Needs to be at the very top, and we need to subject ourselves to him. Or have you fallen for the lie that our great, 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 great grandparents fell for, and that all the nations have been falling for ever since? That I could become like God. I could actually make my own decisions, and I could disobey God and and be the, the master of my own choices. And maybe you've never come to that point where you've recognized that we need to come underneath him. I've got great news for you Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for those sins. He died on the cross to pay for all of your sins, and you can have all of your sins forgiven right here, right now. And it's very simple. I love, I love the way Paul put it in Romans 10. Very simply put, uh, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we, you will be saved. Two things it says in there. Number one... It's confess Jesus to be your Lord. In other words, say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life because I know I, can't be, I shouldn't be the Lord of my own life. That's the exact opposite of Satan's ideology of pride. The second thing is believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Believe that he paid for your sins. And if you're willing to do those two things, what does the verse say? You will be saved. And I look forward to that day when we're saved. We're saved in the sense right now, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're already we, because we know that in the end, we're going to be saved. But in that day, it's realized. We look forward to that day. And if that's you today, I would, I, I would invite you to come and talk to me right after the service. Uh, we also have some men and women in the back that, that uh, uh, if you'd be interested in talking with, with someone, they can show you from God's word how you could know for sure today that your eternal destiny has changed forever. And I would encourage you, there's no greater decision you can make than that. Amen? I would also say to those of you who'd say, Pastor Dave, I know that I'm I'm saved. Uh, I I know that I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, but you have to admit, we live in a world where temptations are everywhere. And you just have to say, Pastor Dave, if I'm honest, I have not put up my guards enough. And and I have been, been falling into some sinful patterns or or even tempted and thinking about falling into some sinful patterns. And I have not been recognizing the hook, but today I'm committing that I'm going to be vigilant. I'm going to be prepared because I'm, I know that the devil is my enemy and he's coming after me. And I'm going to be ready. I'm going to into this word and I'm going to follow it. If that's a decision you'd like to make today, in just a moment I'm going to ask you to...